Welcome, Blanco. We're pleased you're with us for our D35 on the go, our District 35 podcast. We hope this allows you to listen, learn, and stay connected when it's convenient for you. I'm Katherine Wang. I have the pleasure of serving as the superintendent of our school district and your host. Today's episode, we are going to talk with Lynn Lyons, author of Anxious Kids, Anxious Parents, and also The Anxiety Audit. She also hosts the Fluster Clucks podcast, and I definitely had to practice saying that one because I've I said know. it wrong a few times. Well, we, we sort of did that on purpose, so <laughs> it, yeah. it, it works. It's very <laughs> memorable. So we are going to discuss the prevalence of anxiety in today's society. We're going to examine the relationship we have with anxiety and begin to shift it. And then we're also going to learn more about the key skills in managing anxiety and how to teach those to our children. So Lynn, thank you so much for being with us. I'm going to let our audience know that um, we have had the gift of spending just about an hour with you with all of our staff members, and um, we're so thankful that you're giving us some extra time as well today. Oh, I am happy to be here. So we're going to start with what we like to call the lightning round and learn a little bit more about you. Okay. So Lynn, are you a parent? I am a parent. I have two boys. I say boys, but they're 25 and 23. Yes. All right. And what led you to become an author? Oh, well, I actually was an English major in college, so I was I always loved writing. Um, and I guess, well, I'll tell you how the, the first book happened, Anxious Kids, Anxious Parents, is that I was presenting at a conference. It was my first sort of national conference. And Reed Wilson, who I didn't know who he was at the time, much to his dismay, um, came in and sat on my presentation and he came up and introduced himself afterwards and then out of the blue for me not for him he emailed me about a month later and said I want to write a book for anxious kids but I don't really work with kids so I need a co-author and I want you to be the co-author yeah so I played it cool but on the inside I was like oh my god yeah so and that that moved into all Mm -hmm. of your work yeah so that we we wrote two books together we wrote the uh, anxious kids anxious parents and then there's a companion book for kids called playing with anxiety and those two books took us four and a half years to write together and to publish and then I wrote another two books after that and maybe I have another one in me but um uh, it, writing books is really hard and not enjoyable. So mm-hmm. when you're not writing books, tell us what you're doing. I am traveling and speaking like I'm doing here um, with with teachers, and I do a lot of clinical training. I do a lot of parent presentations. We have the podcast that I have with my sister-in-law, Robin, and then I also still have a full private practice. So I still see clients. I, I live in New Hampshire yeah. um, when I'm not on the road, I'm seeing families. You've got to have a full slate. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty full. So when you think about, um, let's say, one big takeaway you want parents to take away from, whether they're listening mm-hmm. to our podcast or they've had a chance to see you speak in person, what, what would it be? I think that the... Can I, can I come up with two? Yes, you may. Okay, okay. <laughs> so the first one is that it is just so important for parents to recognize that anxiety runs in families. 
And that's not a, I I always say I'm not trying to blame, but I do want parents to be responsible and to be informed about how this thing works because it's really fixable and treatable and shiftable if parents can own their own stuff and just do some, a little self-reflection about how it is that it shows up in their family and maybe growing up how it showed up in their family. So, so really, really important. And then the, the, the skill I think that I would really target first is flexibility because anxiety is all about needing things to go a certain way. And when we can show our kids, model for our kids, support this idea of flexibility, we do better. We do better in life. We do better in relationships. Life requires flexibility. That doesn't mean chaos. It doesn't mean that you don't plan. It doesn't mean that you don't have schedules. It doesn't mean that you don't have routines and bedtimes and all that kind of stuff. But I think the biggest thing I want parents to know is that if you can help your kids tolerate when unexpected things happen, then they're, you're going to equip them with a really, really important life skill. I, I love that. And that idea of a uh frustration tolerance mm-hmm. or change, yeah. unexpected tolerance of things not going the way we hope yeah. or, or also things not going um, at a really high level. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, I talk a lot about the, 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 the sort of the achievement culture and how parents really get pulled into that and how contagious that is. And parents put so much pressure on themselves to make sure that their kids are doing everything they should be doing. I think we beat ourselves up a lot if we don't if we don't, you know, have a full schedule for our kids. And I often tell this story because it was such a gift to me. Uh, my boys were at this little school for first, second, third grade. It was like like this little Nirvana fairy school. It was mm-hmm. in a barn, and it was a husband and wife, and it was just a wonderful school. And at the end of the day everyone would come and pick up their kids and they were like, here, put on your tutu or get ready for soccer or whatever. And my husband and I were like, well, they're so little and they were just in school all day. So like, we're going to go home and play. play." We had this game called Up on Roof, which was really like you threw the ball up on the roof and then it came down and you threw it up again. And I was feeling guilty about this. I was feeling like I wasn't cutting it. Um, And the woman, the, the, the teacher, Judy, came up to me one day after school when the kids were all rushing around, and she said, I just want to tell you something. I noticed that after school, when you come to pick them up, you don't rush out of here, because the school had, like, lambs and donkeys and chickens and playgrounds, and we would play, and she said, you don't have them scheduled after school. And I said, I know, I'm so, you know. Oh. And she said, no, 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 keep it that way for a while keep it that way they're little they just work their little brains and bodies all day long Mm. i just want you to know that you letting them play is really really important and what a gift that was to me as a mom to hear that about our little boys so i hear that as permission to not keep up with the shoulds yeah permission to to give time and pause yeah Well, and interestingly, one of the things that really helps executive functioning, because I know that parents are like, well, we have to, you know, we have to, they're they're six, but we have to prepare them for law school. Um, I'm sort of joking about that, um, is free play and reading for pleasure. 
those two things have been shown to help with the development of executive functioning. And free play means not an activity that's organized by a grown-up. Let them play. And that's really the, 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 the lack of free play right now in our culture is really significant and something we need to pay attention to. We've talked about that as um, needing more PDF, and mm-hmm. it's play, downtime, mm-hmm. and family time. Yep. And getting away from some of that structured mm-hmm. intensity. and Yeah, yeah. I mean, kids, you know, going from activity to activity, and parents are tired, and everybody's sort of stressed out, and so it's very likely that the siblings are going to be going after each other, and you're trying to eat dinner in the car, and it just increases everybody's irritation. One of the patterns that I talk about a lot in um, and, and in the anxiety audit, it's one of the last chapters, is irritation. That's a red flag that if you as a parent or you see your children constantly in this state of irritation, it means that you're not doing that PDF. It means that you need to pull back. Irritation is a real sign that you're out of balance. So part of that in all of this is really knowing yourself, mm-hmm. knowing your children, mm-hmm. and um, what's what's their normal state of regulation, and mm-hmm. what am I noticing when they're up yeah. and at that irritated state. Yeah. And it's normal for kids to be sort of on emotional roller coasters. That's one of the things also is that I think parents are really worried about, like, is my kid okay, and are they depressed, or are they anxious, and I have to make sure I'm doing everything right. And your anxiety about doing everything right just comes across to your child as your anxiety. So even though your intentions are absolutely in the right place, we really need to just give them room to figure things out. And it's hard for parents to do that. Believe me, I mean, I I have been through it with my boys in terms of high school and college and COVID and all that kind of stuff. But And I'm still, at 23 and 25, I'm still trying to give them room to figure things out. And my inclination, you know, if you ask, if you ask my family why I became a therapist, they will say, because I'm nosy. That's what they will say. <laughs> um, I dispute that. But it's hard as a parent to not want to get in there and orchestrate and make them okay and, and manage. And fix it. And, and fix and it. clear the path. Yep, that's so, right. You reference COVID, and we, we often hear in the, in the recent years, like, oh, COVID. Since COVID, Mm -hmm. we've seen spikes in anxiety and Mm -hmm. the numbers of children and adults struggling with it have gone through the roof. Mm -hmm. What do you make of that? Well, I think the numbers don't lie, but I I would caution people to, to recognize that a lot of the data we get is usually about two years behind. Mm -hmm. So when we were getting, when you were hearing those headlines about kids, you know, really do that that data came out in the fall i think it was the fall of 2021 and if you remember the fall of 2020 we had had a crazy 2020 like we didn't know and schools were you know it was all over the place so we want to look at where we are now with kids i think that they have heard from us so much that covid disrupted their lives mm. that they're believing us and I think we it, it, it's okay to shift the message a little bit to say that we went through this crazy time and that what are the skills or what are the things we want to pay attention to as we're moving forward. Um, I, I, it was funny. I talked to a, a, some second grade teachers the year that kids came back from COVID, um, and she said, the second graders are a disaster 
because they missed kindergarten. Kindergarten. Everybody says, like, why do you say kindergarten? Kindergarten and first grade. They didn't know how to hold their bathroom, so they would just get up. They had to pee all the time because they Go were just anytime, anytime. They wanted to eat all the time because they didn't know how to regulate their hunger, and they had a really hard time sitting still. They just wanted to move around and do whatever they want. They didn't just get that school training. The routines. Um, the routines. And the exposure. In That's that right. Every day for two every years. Day. It was, a, it was yeah. an alternate plan. Yep, right? it was. So so I think we have to pay attention to the messaging. And I think we really want to make sure when we're talking to kids that there is a really big sweet spot for our kids' emotions. And I talk now, I think, just in general, but certainly since covid is that I feel like people are parenting on a tightrope and they feel like if they take one mm. step in the wrong direction that there is going to be this plummet. I also say, I say to parents all the time, you're parenting, you're not on the bomb squad, right? So it's like red wire, blue wire, red wire. It's so intense. They're so worried that they're going to mess up, that there's so much on the line. And I think we just need to, to loosen it up a little bit and give our kids and ourselves more room, a lot of emotional variability. It's normal, and we're pathologizing a lot of normal development right now. So that goes back to, as a parent, allowing your child to struggle, allowing mm-hmm. your child to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. allowing your child to have um, uh, worries. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And and how do I handle that as a parent when my little one or my teenager mm-hmm. is is dealing with all that variability? So connection is key. So you want to make room for your kids to be able to talk to you about things. One of the things, the more anxious and reactive we are, the more likely it is Two things happen. One is that our kids get anxious and reactive also. This is a learned pattern. And then also, they will not talk to us about things because they don't want to handle our freak out. Mm. So I often talk about parents, talk 85% less. That's one of my major immediate rules, right? Talk, be quiet. You don't have to lecture and talk and use so many words. And the other thing, as I say, is be vanilla ice cream. And what I mean by that is vanilla ice cream is like, we like vanilla ice cream and it goes with everything, but it's not a big dramatic thing. I want you to be solid. I want you to be neutral. I want you to absorb what your kids are saying to you minus the freak out. The more we freak out, the more we are saying to them, this is an emergency. And then they react with that too. So you've got to be able to you've got to be able to absorb what your kids are giving to you rather than to join them in the escalation and rather than to just immediately step in and think this is an emergency I've got to call the school I've got to do this I've got to do that allow it to be connection 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 if they know that you love and support them and that you can handle the messes you are modeling for them handling the messes that's what we want kids to hear from from their parents and that messes are a normal part of life M- and we all happen. we all work through them yep yeah and sometimes yep. that's the best learning when right when we're failing correct. through a mucky mess correct <laughs> one of the things i will say and i might 
you know, I might say this in front of a group of people or I have people think about this, is that I'll have them pull up something that they're really proud about, that they accomplished. So something they'd brag about. If they were mm. going to brag about themselves, what would it be? So I have people pull that up. And then I say, now think about the thing that you pulled up. Was it something that was given to you? Was it something that was easy? Was it something? The thing you're going to brag about is the thing that you accomplished and you didn't think you were going to be able to do it. So you're not going to brag of, you know, oh, somebody gave me money. You're going you're gonna to brag about the fact that you changed jobs or that you decided to move cities or that you adopted the, you know, three-legged blind corgi or that you decided to have, ch- I mean, all the things that we do where there is so much uncertainty inherent in the decision and we did it. That's what you're going to brag about. You've got to give your kids the opportunity to create those life experiences Mm -hmm. rather than trying to make sure that everything goes smoothly. A, because good luck, you're not going to be able to pull it off. But also that's where kids learn what their resilience is, what their skills are. That's where they learn where their support is. And if we don't give our kids the opportunity to practice that when they're young, they will not learn it. And, and I tell you, I've been doing this for 30 years, so I've watched a lot of kids grow and mature. The families that don't allow their kids to do it, they're the ones I get the call from a week into college, and they're crashing and burning. And it's hard. It is so counterintuitive. I totally get that. Yes, it is yeah. so counterintuitive. But we do it with love and support and encouragement. We're not just shoving them out there. We're not stiff-arming them. But we're showing them and giving them opportunities to learn and practice. So, so important. So you've talked a lot about that idea of part of anxiety is your brain is turning Mm -hmm. everything into an emergency. Mm -hmm. Right. Even if it's not truly the fight flight I need to to flee here. Mm -hmm. So walk us through for our listeners – how do we change? How do we help our, our children or even we as adults to navigate those highly anxious moments? Mm-hmm. Well, they're gonna, you're gonna be highly anxious. Okay. Right? So, so, one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they think, I have to get rid of these thoughts and sensations. So, I shouldn't be feeling this way. Um, there's something wrong with me. What happens is when we start feeling anxious or nervous or worried and we get these physical symptoms or we start having these catastrophic thoughts and then we say, what's wrong with me? I have to get rid of this. That's how it goes into that next level. But if you can say, uh, and, and I, I cannot do my job without these two words. If I, if I were going to get a tattoo, that was going to be, which I'm not going to do, but if I were going to get a, ta- a professional tattoo, it would be the two words, of course. Of course you feel that way. Of course your heart is broken. Of course when you get cut from the team, you're disappointed. Of course when you get rejected, right? We have to say it's okay that you feel these things. The biggest problem that I see that leads to other bigger problems is this idea that we convey to kids that they're not supposed to feel a certain way Mm. because then they will seek out ways to get rid of the feelings And that's where substances come in. That's where avoidance comes in. That's where other behaviors come in that we would all agree are not good. But a lot of them come from this idea that I shouldn't be feeling this way. So we want to make a lot of room. So so flexibility, 
the brain learns through experience. So that little alarm system, that little amygdala needs to be taken out into the world and it needs to get data so that it can come to different conclusions. So if you are afraid of swimming and you're... I remember, uh, I was like, this is a relative that she was afraid of swimming and her mom was saying, I need you to learn how to swim. It is so important because it's really dangerous. If you fall in the water and you don't know how to swim, that would be terrible. And I was like, okay, stop talking. We need to get her into the water so that she can develop these skills without the catastrophic thinking. The goal is to let the amygdala step in into the situation so it can get new data. And even if it's uncomfortable and even if it's a little scary and even if it's uncertain, the brain learns by stepping in. Anxiety takes over when we avoid. It's just straight up. We've known that for a really long time. Avoidance makes anxiety worse. So you're talking about the gentle, kind, supportive way of exposure. Mm -hmm. And um, as we think about what we tend to do in schools, Mm -hmm. and we work with parents on this, is most often avoidance. Mm -hmm. Or we we accommodate and move around Mm -hmm. so a child doesn't experience something that may be anxiety-producing. Right. So can you share for our listeners, and we just finished our our wonderful time with our staff, Mm -hmm. what's your um, alternate perspective on what we should be doing as educators to, to support children? So when kids are moving through learning, first, number one, is that we have to accept that uncertainty, discomfort is part of the package. And that sometimes is a paradigm shift for parents because they don't want their kids to feel distress. Understandably, of course. So with love and support and encouragement, we want to expose kids to uncertainty and let them hang out long enough in the uncertainty so they can get to the other side. The analogy that I use oftentimes is a woman came to see me many years ago And she was really afraid of being hungry. People can be afraid of anything. She was really afraid of being hungry for some good reasons. And then worry just sort of took over. And she thought that if she felt hungry, that it would just continue to build and build and build to this place where she would not be able to manage. She had never let herself be hungry, hang out, have that hunger dissipate a little bit and then get some food when she wanted to. We've all had that experience, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. I mean, you guys are in jobs where you guys just can't eat whenever you want. I'm in a job where I can't eat whenever. I get hungry and I'm like, oh God, I'm starving. And then I hang out and it goes down a little bit. With kids, when we're talking about uncertainty and when we're talking about emotional management, we want to have them in situations, and oftentimes they just organically come up, in situations where they are experiencing uncertainty or discomfort and they're hanging out with it long enough to get to the other side. What parents often do and what schools do too is that when the uncertainty shows up, so they're feeling uncertain, we step in and we stop it. They immediately feel better and they never got to the other side. So we want to let them hang out. The, the term for that, if we're talking about psychology terms, is habituation. And it just means that you hang out long enough for the brain to get some new data, for you to have some learning. Learning doesn't happen if avoidance is 
the name of the game. Sure. Yeah. If we completely clear yep. the path for those yeah. difficult times yeah. or yeah. uncertainty mm-hmm. or what should I do if we're not building that capacity. Like, right. I, I can do hard things. Right. And the, and the problem with it, too, is that it, even even the best laid plans of we're going to make sure that this child feels certain and comfortable all the time, it doesn't happen. So inevitably, something goes wrong. There's a different teacher. There's this. There's that. There's COVID. There's whatever. And that child has not had the ability to practice. And so they're, they're emotionally ill-equipped to handle when life certainties fall through, right? Yeah. So, so we just want to give kids the ability to practice. I mean, it was there was a, a therapist in the town where I live years ago who was going into school mood meetings and talking about disappointment syndrome. Okay, there's no such thing as disappointment syndrome. It means that you felt disappointed and you had to handle it. It's not a syndrome. It's not a diagnosis. And how do we give kids the opportunity to get to the other side? When we help them avoid, when we pathologize normal feelings, when we freak out because our child is freaking out, we keep this thing going. So as a parent, mm-hmm. what's that line of normal range mm-hmm. of feeling stressed and anxious? Mm-hmm. When have I tipped over to say, I really need professional help. help and and to work with a professional on other strategies mm-hmm. or other interventions? Um, so one, one thing is, is that if you're concerned about your child, it is really okay to reach out for help. The average length of time that it takes for a parent to get help for anxiety is two to eight years. Ooh, right. that's so a this, long time. I know, well, it happens all the time. I'll get an email from somebody who'll say, oh, my child's been anxious for about eight years, but she's 17 now, and we're hoping to fix it before she goes off to college. <laughs> right? I'm like, you should have called me sooner. Um, so, so it's always okay to ask for help. Um, if it is what's, what's normal versus I need help, if it's interfering with what we would consider those normal developmental markers, and what I really pay attention to is the, so, the social components of it as well. So if you have a child that's avoiding going to birthday parties, going to school, has a really hard time leaving the house without you, is not able to fall asleep without a huge rigmarole or a two-hour routine, if you see your child, if, if you're looking around and you're thinking, I think this is something that my child should be able to do and they're not, that's when you really want to get concerned. The The problem with anxiety is that if we leave it alone, if we do nothing about it, and mm-hmm. it continues to do the avoidance, it is really likely that your teenager is going to end up depressed. And that scares parents, but it's the truth. And the reason is, is that anxiety does not care if your child gets his driver's license, if he tries out for the school play, if she keeps up with her clarinet lessons, if she goes into join a club, if she hangs out with other kids. With little kids that are anxious and worried, we can sort of dictate their social life. Mm. But when they hit middle school and adolescence... It's coming at them from all directions. And it's that that's at the very time where social connection is so critical to their mental health, is so critical to their well-being... And anxiety doesn't care. 
Anxiety says, I don't care if he stays in his room all the time. I don't care if he drops out of the school play. I don't care if he quits the soccer mm-hmm. team. I don't care if he if – he, and, and so we really want to make sure that we, we get ahead of this thing. And I always say the earlier the better, but it's never too late because of the impact that anxiety has on social connection. That's what I see in my practice all the time. If you've got a little kid who's a worrier and you can help them manage, right? You're like, okay, well, we'll just make sure she knows exactly what's going to happen or we'll go to the swim lesson with her or whatever. And you feel like you can manage it. When that teenager starts isolating in their room, that's when you're going you're gonna to say, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. So pay attention to those early signs. You may need professional help, but there's a lot of do-it-yourself in the anxiety biz. I really inform or really... I really instruct parents to learn about this thing, to, to own their own stuff. The hardest families for me to work with are the parents who do not look at their own anxious patterns. That's the hardest for me to work with. So it's okay. It's really common. It runs in families. Own it. Learn about it. Pay attention to how you're going to give your children these skills. If if the, the probably the most common homework assignment that I give to families that everybody can do is at the dinner table at night, and you should try and have dinner as a family. I we, love that yeah. as an assignment, number yeah. one. <laughs> have dinner as a family. Maybe not seven nights a week, right. but um, and that you go around the table and you say, what was the unexpected thing that happened to you today, and how did you manage it? And we want the, we want the adults to, and look, I mean, you, you know, you, you don't have to, say a big horrible thing you know that happened right, right. you can you can make stuff up but you want kids to hear adults working through the process of managing and problem solving and being disappointed and figuring things out that's really really helpful and then here's the other thing that's going to piss a lot of people off so be prepared you shouldn't be tracking your kids you should not be tracking your kids Tell us more, Lynn. Well, the use of those apps like Life360 and all that kind of stuff, I am not saying you shouldn't communicate with your kids, and I'm not saying that your kids shouldn't have cell phones. Yes. But what happens is it gets in the way of a really important skill that I totally wanted my boys to have, which is responsible communication. So if we say... These devices are going to take care of everything. Totally passive, right? Totally I, passive. I don't have to engage. I don't have to think about, uh, right, I yeah. should be checking in with my right. parents right now. Right. I said I would when I get. Right. Uh, or, or, or just courtesy, too, right? Mm. So if my son was coming home from his baseball game and he was going to be late because they stopped at Wendy's or whatever, I want him to think, I better let mom know because she's coming to the parking lot to get me. Or, but if we have Life 360, I say, oh, little prince, you do whatever you need to do. <laughs> you And miraculously, I will show up in the parking lot at the minute the bus arrives so that you won't have to experience a moment of inconvenience, right? Don't like it. The other thing, too, is that we know that the tracking is moving into peer relationships as well. So... Parents are tracking their kids. We've normalized this idea that we're going to be able to look and see where they are all the time. If you had, let's just say you have a 15-year-old daughter, 
And they came home and said, oh, I have this great new boyfriend, mom or girlfriend, I don't care. But she needs to know or he needs to know exactly where I am all the time. And it just is a sign that, that he loves me and cares about me. So I he, he tracks me on my phone and he wants to make sure that I am where I say I am and that I'm not going out with my friends when I said that I was going to be with him. Isn't that great? I, I don't know a parent who would be like, yeah, that's great. I think we'd be like, okay, we need to have a talk about this. So we are modeling for kids this idea that it is okay to know where you are all the time and that the technology will allow that. I just think we've got to look at the development of autonomy. And for those parents that have teenagers, I know this is hard to swallow, but it's really true. They're supposed to do things behind our back. Mm. They are supposed Mm. to do things that we don't know about. And that's really hard, but, you know, I'm old. I did a lot of things my parents didn't know about, and I was a really good kid. I was a very, very, but like, we weren't, nerdy we weren't good kids. But we weren't being monitored for all of our we actions. We weren't being and monitored. And, yep. We and weren't the being, emails that yep. we send. Yep. It's yep. really fascinating and really um, helpful advice. Hmm. I need to think about it even... It, it, when I say find my iPhone for where my husband is, yeah, I yes, need to think I know about that. Well, Thank I will you, tell Lynn. you, my husband is the last <laughs> husband in the country who doesn't use a cell phone, and um, it has been really inconvenient sometimes. I don't want to know everywhere that he is, but man, sometimes he's disappeared. He went hiking once and he got food poisoning while he was hiking. Oh, there you go. And he was hours and hours yeah. late. Yes. I would have really that may have been helpful at that. I that really example. would have appreciated it. Just a text yes. to yeah. say it's I'm walking very slowly. Yeah. <laughs> so I nice. am not anti technology <laughs> at all, but the tracking stuff we really need to pay attention to. And bringing it all back, mm-hmm. you know, woven through everything you've said, it is truly that idea that resonates so deeply in the work that we're doing is about connection, mm-hmm. about yep. everybody feeling connected, <laughs> um, supported to work through struggles or things that's that right. may be uncomfortable or hard. And that's our gift that we can help give to our youth. Yep. So, yep. Lynn, thank you so much. What what great advice and wisdom that um, whether you have a little one, a wee one, or an older mm-hmm. teenager adult, as mm-hmm. I do, this is really helpful information. So thank you to our listeners for being with us today. If you're interested in learning more about Lynn's work, you can check out her book, The Anxiety Audit, or Fluster Clucks Podcast great series and all different topics to help you to navigate as a as a parent and an adult we are going to raffle off three free copies of the book um, if you'd like to be entered into the raffle please email d35 on the go at glencoschools.org for a copy of the anxiety audit and you can also view a recording of lynn's fan event on the fan website mark your calendar for our november 14th session with deborah heitner focused on growing up in public and supporting our children in navigating social media thanks so much to our student musicians and we thank you for listening 